And please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. I only have part of the passage on the insert. And the outline is more about the principles that I want you to pay close attention to as we go through this really amazing account of Isaac and Rebekah. We left off in Genesis 23 with the death of Sarah, Abraham's beloved wife. And his last act of faithfulness towards his beloved wife was to see to her burial, which was not only an act of love towards her, but it was also a commitment or calling God to commitment on his promise that she would rise again. And the burial was an act of faith that at some point in the heavenly Canaan, uh, Sarah would rise again. Uh, looking forward to resurrection. Remember, Abraham and Sarah knew they would not personally see the physical manifestation in their time of God's promises, but they looked forward to a city who had foundations, and that burial demonstrated that. It also preserved a piece of land in the promised land, so that promise of God was being realized as now Abraham owned land in Canaan. It was his and it would be his descendants. Yes, it's a grave at this point. It's a cemetery at this point, but that would only be the beginning as God's promises would unfold. Now, Genesis 24, it's after the death of Sarah. So we know that Abraham is a very old man. He's 137 years old. So no matter how old you feel today, you don't feel 137. It says in some of the old versions, he was well stricken in years. He's a man of deep, tested, and mature faith in God, his Savior. He believes in the provision of the Savior to come. He's a Christian, if you will, just looking forward to Christ. So this is an episode for believers to see how a believer makes his plans and depends on God as he makes those plans. He makes plans depending on God's promises. He doesn't just sit there inactive waiting. He goes and moves, but at the same time, he refers to God throughout. It's a great picture for believers not every passage embodies the gospel in itself. This passage fills in part of the story that leads to the coming of Christ. And the one who's referenced here, Abraham, setting the pace here, he is a believer in Christ. And so we look to this example. It's helpful and it's very practical. Candlish, the commentator I've referred to several times, captures the beauty of this story we're about to read. He says the incidents recorded in this chapter are in themselves viewed simply in the light of a story of human life full of interest. The scene is one of homely and primitive simplicity. Its romance fills the imagination. Its beauty affects the heart. As a picture of manners, it has the blended charm of classical and oriental grace. As a domestic tale, it carries our best and purest sympathies along with it. Hear now as I read Genesis 24. This is God's holy word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? 
Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for me, from, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who will, shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel, two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, please, Tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, I, We have plenty of both straw and fodder in room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God, the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. 
Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I said to her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nera's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring, I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets in her, on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord, and I blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, if not tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. 
Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let us pray, and I'll use words from the same commentator that I referred to just a moment ago. Let's pray. Oh Lord, the circumstances that we have just read in your word combine to make this this portion of the sacred record specially attractive. In reading it, we feel at home amid these patriarchal incidents and descriptions, realizing them as if they were somehow familiar. The stately pomp and ceremony, the reserve and coldness, and the suspicion of our more artificial society today passes away when we read. The freshness of nature's early truth and tenderness returns, artless, guileless, fearless. We breathe pure and freer air as we read. We are touched with a deeper sense at once of a special providence in heaven and of a real and true sympathy on earth. We feel that there can be such a thing as the exercise of a frank and generous trust relying both on God and upon man and that it is possible to act upon the belief both of God's superintendence and of man's sincerity. By your Holy Spirit, O Lord, guide us in the reading and the study of your word this day. I pray this in Christ. Amen. When we meet Abraham at the beginning of this chapter, we meet a man who has lived his life fully, and he trusts God. This is no longer the Abraham who takes shortcuts. This is Abraham who knows the Lord will provide. That's the sure sign of one who is fully trusting in the Lord, that the Lord will call us to life and he will provide for us in that life. We meet a man who has learned this truth from his time on Mount Moriah, that top moment of faith, to this point, he is now ready to go to be with the Lord. Abraham's efforts to find Isaac a wife before us, it's not because he lacks faith. Instead, his actions prove to be a model of how faith and real life can relate. I don't mean your story will be identical to this amazing story, but the interaction between believing in God's promises, making plans, relying upon the Lord along the way, realizing the plan may not be what I thought it was and being ready to change, all of that is so true to life. It's a real picture of how we are to interact with our God based on what he said as we move along. Abraham's actions proved to be a model of how faith and real life relate. He knows that God has promised to make him a great nation. Well, he's about to die. He's 137 plus. How will this be? Well, it's going to be Isaac. Isaac's the one, the son of Sarah. This has to be the one. So he knows God's promised 
that Isaac will be the father of that nation going forward. But he also knows Isaiah is 37 and he needs to get started moving. With total faith in God, Abraham starts to make a plan to find Isaac a wife. A picture of how to make plans, people of God. Believe that your God is the one who provides. Start making your plans accordingly. Guide your plans according to his principles. Don't make sinful plans, but there are all sorts of plans we might make. Submit them, commit them to God. It's a good way to think, the way we see this unfold. A beautiful balance of faith and action. Faith in a sovereign God and planning that is done according to God's principles. We often overthink things too much. Faith in a sovereign God. Live your life making principled plans. You don't have to wait for God to write the plan in the sky or on the wall. Move ahead, believing in him who provides for you. We are to make our plans, whatever those plans are, trusting that God is arranging even the planning process to affect his providence. This is how he works. The story is about Abraham finding Isaac a wife. It's a story of providence for sure. The commentator I continue to refer to said, as a warning to me, the preacher, a narrative like this is marred rather than illustrated by too much minute exposition. So let's walk through the passage together. I'll make notes so we can see how these principles unfold and answer some of the uh, puzzles to us because we live now in not 2,000 years before Christ. Look at the passage with me now, Genesis 24. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. Apparently he was laying down. He couldn't even get up at this point, it seems. And God had fully blessed him. He was content. And Abraham talks to his servant, verse 2, the oldest of his household. Maybe this is Eliezer. Remember Eliezer, the one that if Isaac wasn't born would receive all his household, his most trusted servant. So this servant referred to here is an old man himself. He's 70 or 80 or more. So this is not like one of his young servants. This is his most old, one of his oldest and trusted servants. And he comes and asks him to take a pledge that seems odd to us. He's laying there in bed. Put your hand under my thigh. That means he has to get close to him and hear what he's saying. And there's a symbolism there um, that was unique to the ancient Near East about what he was going to ask him. It was referring to his household, referring to his progeny. So it was very intimate the way he would take this oath. Seems weird to us, but it wasn't to them. Uh, I need you to promise me something, that you'll help Isaac find a wife and do not let her take anyone from Canaan says it in verse 3. And the reason is Canaan were the outright enemies of Yahweh. Now they had lived with Abraham there, but they did not adopt Abraham's religion. Uh, The daughters of Canaan were fully opposed to the religion of Abraham. Um, They had a system that was evil in how they they did human sacrifice. They had uh, all sorts of deviant behaviors that were obviously different from what God had called Abraham to. The issue was not racial, it was moral. He said, you have to go back to the Ur of the Chaldees and find one from my house because there, there will be a a closer relationship to what is true. And you need to go there. Don't let him marry into Canaan. The other fact is if he married into Canaan, he would become assimilated. They would not be a distinct people any longer. And he was concerned for this. So he's making principled choices about the plan that he's unfolding. The plan is based on the promises of God. Go find a wife for Isaac, my servant, is what he's asking. Now, I want you to notice something before we go too far ahead. Something about the truth about marriage. Now, this is not a paradigm for how we think of every aspect of marriage, but it helps correct some of our Western ways of thinking. Marriage 
isn't just about the compatibility and happiness of the two people. It's almost like we've turned it around. Marriage is about my happiness. And that's how we construct the completely broken and flawed and marred relationships you see happening. So if it's about my happiness, then what I'll do is I'm going to try her out. I'm going to try him out. I'm going to try it out. You know, it's about me. I, gotta, I don't like this. I don't like him. I'll try him. I'll try her. I'll try that. And it's led to just complete spiritual and mental and psychological bloodshed. That kind of Western thinking. So we see a bit of an arrangement here. And we say, oh, that's arranged marriage. That's so archaic. Do you want to compare this with what we have today? Where you have people who know the person who they've raised and know who they are, what they're about. Another, they know too and they talk together about this. And it's still up to those people in this arrangement. But marriage is what's good for the world. That's, what God, that's why God has ordained marriage. We get married because that's what God blesses as the foundation for society. We get married on the basis of what God calls us to do and how we engage in marriage. And then from marriage, um, you see all these blessings that come. A safety to the couple. Happiness does come. That's true. That's not the reason, but that will come in a marriage that's honoring God. It's about multiplying and having children so that more children who know, who know that God are populating this earth. It's about commitment to God and his purposes as well as commitment to other, another person. Notice the planning to find Isaac's wife. He's not praying for a miracle. He's praying or he's making a plan and invoking God's guidance and asking for God to reveal his will as he goes or to provide for this plan that he has. And the servant, though, in verse 5, has a very honest question after Abraham tells him his plan. Go 200 miles, find a wife for my son. The servant says in verse 5, um, that's just my addition, nuance, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I then go get Isaac and take him back to the land? No, Abraham said, don't do that. Don't take my son back there. Because then he will leave his place in Canaan and he may not come back. You can't do that. Don't let him, whatever you do, if you can't find her there, don't, don't take him back there. You see Abraham's really concerned to maintain a principle here. He's got to stay here. You go find her. Can't be from the Canaanites, so you've got to go do this. And you've got to imagine this poor guy, he's, let's say he's 80 years old. He's thinking, Master, what girl is going to follow creepy old dude all the way back to Canaan on a camel? I mean, it's 200 miles. That's 14 plus days on a camel with me. Do you really think? And of course, Abraham refers to, as they haggle a bit, Abraham refers to God's promises. Look at verse 7. He says to the servant, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, take your offspring and I will give, give this land. He will send his angel before you. Now, it's not that he's commissioning an angel by his power. It's a way of saying, because he knows he's met angels. Abraham has. He knows if it's God's will... God will move things to make this happen. So if this is going to be something that occurs, he'll move his angel before you, and he'll, there'll be forces you can't see moving to make it happen. If it's not his will, it won't happen, and you'll know. So he's not presuming upon God. He's just making plans based on God's promises. He's making a plan with spiritual considerations. He knows that it's all dependent on God making this happen. And the servant is free of obligation if it doesn't fall out the way that Abraham describes. But Abraham's learned something. Don't take a shortcut, servant. Don't try to do exactly as I'm saying. If it doesn't happen this way, then there's, there's a different plan that will occur. It's not that he disbelieves that this will happen, but he's about to die. So he wants to at least, with responsibility, push this along. His wife has been faithfully buried and the commitment and that clear profession has been made about her. And now the other promise that he looks forward to is for the, 
him to become a great nation, and Isaac's the person. Verse 10, and the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. So this is a bit of an entourage. This is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a, a train of camels together with men on the camels, with lots of stuff. These would be armed men. These are men that will keep them safe in their journey. It's a sizable cavalcade, um, and they have lots of riches with them, like tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff with them. So they're, they're well guarded. Um, they, wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't be prone to attack, and they take this, this uh, train of camels, and they depart to head to make the 200-mile trip west. Um, to do this thing that God has called them to. They get to Nahor, where there may be some of Abraham's kinsmen. That's what they're looking for now. And they stop. And just outside the city, there is a well, and there is some tr- a trough where you could bring your animals not too far from the well. People get the well for themselves, but if they want to water their animals, they bring some over to the trough and put it in the trough. Verse 11, he made the camels kneel outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, at the end of the day. Time when the women go out to draw the water. For, and they'll draw it for that night and for the next day. He prays when he gets there. This old guy's tired. It's been a long trip. Okay, Lord, I'm here. And what he prays is not unreasonable. It's very creative. It's not unreasonable. He just put, places it before the Lord. He's not praying for a miracle. He's just praying for something that might fall out normally. But hey, Lord, this would be great if it worked out like this. Look what he says. And the Lord, he said, O Lord, God of my master, this is verse 12, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I believe in you and do it because of your promise to Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. The daughters of men of the city are coming out to the water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And he adds something, who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed. Now, I want you to notice something. He's not tacking that on to make some special trick to show God's will. He's looking for a certain kind of woman. It would be the standard of the day that if a, a, a traveler, a weary traveler, asks someone for water, that any of the women would have done that. But it would have been something extra, not demanded of the culture, for that woman to be so servant-like, so selfless, so generous, so hospitable, that she would offer to even water your animals. Because they would, they would, one camel would take multiple jugs of water, let alone ten. So if that... let me know that this is the one. There'll be some special quality about her that has that kind of heart towards someone who's weary, who's a stranger. So that's what he offers up to the Lord. Before he finished speaking, verse 15. What a, what a picture, what a, what a drama. Behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, so he's thinking, bonus, my, my master's gonna love this. Now I say that, I say because it it's funny to us. But that isn't the, the main thing they would have been looking for in antiquity in any culture that actually has some substance. We don't, so we think of that more. Um, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter, but you'll see as the story unfolds where looks come into this at all. They can be deceptive, as we see other writers say. But he notices, very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So he sees, okay, here's one. Uh, the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. He even says a little water, so this would be a, a sheer setup if she was that generous to offer more than a little uh, beyond just him to the camel. She said, drink, my Lord. Then verse 18, as it moves on, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. 
I love verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Now, I have a small little story. I don't want to take away from this, from this larger story, but it's, it, it reminds me of something I'd share, I want to share with you. It reminds me of a point in my dating relationship with Sherry so many years ago, 30-something years ago. We had been on several dates at this point, but I was sure there's no way this would last. Like, at some point, she's going to dump me. There's no way I'm her level, all this stuff. I'm thinking to myself, she's not really good. She doesn't feel this way about me. I felt almost immediately when I met her, I'm like, this is a woman I could definitely marry. I'd love to marry this, this woman, but she never would think that way about me. But she kept going on these dates with me, so I kept going with it. I figured, wow, this is, uh, this is something's happening here. But she also kept mentioning that their plan was only ever to stay at college, at that college for one year. Then she was going to come back to Kansas and go to one of the state schools and finish her degree. That was her plan, go one year there. We were in January of 92 at this time, almost 30-something years ago to, in this month. And we were out on a date, and we were at a cafe. We had finished eating, and she said, she all of a sudden got serious looking. And I remember because she started doing this with her hand when she's serious. She goes, and she looked down at her hand and started telling me. She said, you know, there comes a time when you're dating someone that you kind of got to make a decision about where you're going. And as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, I think I might be in. Like, I think, this, I think she might actually want to keep this going. Now, I know you may think, what a chicken, you waited that long. I was, I admit it. I thought she wouldn't like me. Don't tell me you would be surprised. But she's doing this, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, this could be her actually starting to say we should really make a commitment and, and really be serious about this. And then I come to this text, verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. That's how I felt. Is this really, and I was quiet Later, she was convinced that I was just stringing her out because I knew at that point, and I just wanted to hear. No, I was stunned that she was saying what she was saying, and it never looked back from then. Verse 22, when the camels finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel. This is a gold shekel. This is an enormous amount of money that just the ring is worth. It's a nose ring, which seems odd to us in our culture, but it wasn't then. Two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. So this is a way of saying the story uh, or who I am and the basis for why I'm here um, is backed by uh, I'm a person who has means, so it's not just some stranger. Is there room for your father in your father's house to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, uh, Milcah, who bore, she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of straw and fodder and room to spend the night. So now the story starts to unfold and it's moving back towards her household. And man, this is going well for the servant at this point. And he gives her this stuff as a way of proving who he is. And this will become more and more important to ease any concerns that he's a fraud. And what does he do first? Verse 26, the man bows his head and worships the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. It's a beautiful fulfillment of a prayer he prayed and he's thanking God for it. There's an interweaving of planning, of acting, of praying, of depending on God. That's, that's what's unfolding here. And now Rebecca's recognizing something special about this whole thing. Verse 28, then young, the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now she's wearing tens of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry now. And she runs and tells her mother. Trust in God, taking action, and asking God to help and guide now, we are introduced to an interesting character that we'll meet again later. Verse 29, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban comes out, he's checking on his sister like he should. 
He runs out to the spring. He sees something unfolding. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, heard the words of Rebecca's sister, thus the man spoke to me. Okay, now we know something special about this guy. This isn't the normal everyday. Something's happening. Behold, I was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. So Laban says to the man, I can see something special about you and about this episode. Come in. Why do you stand there? Let's talk. Let's figure out what's, what's going on here. I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now, we don't know what Rebecca had been praying for in her life up to this moment. We don't know what Laban, what Rebecca's parents were praying for, what they were looking forward to. We could assume she wanted to be married someday. Um, maybe this comports with some feature of what she had been praying or looking for too. So with excitement, everybody's together. Verse 32, so the man came to the house. Verse 33, food was set before him. But before he eats anything, he says, I will not eat until I say what I have to say. Speak on. Then in verse 34 down to 15 verses, he lays out the story of Abraham, about how Abraham's from you. He was called from you. He went to the land of Canaan. He was promised that someday all of Canaan would be his, that thousands and thousands and thousands would come from him. He'd be a great nation, and the whole world would be blessed for him. Now, they're putting together, this is for something related to Abraham. Then he says, Abraham had a son. In their old age, they had a son, Isaac, his only son. And he needs a wife. And his wife and he together, they'll be the the parents of this great nation that will come. And he's giving this picture that only God can construct. And the servant's doing his best to explain it all. Down to the details. Tells the whole story again. Then in verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. Their assessment after hearing him and seeing him and knowing who he was now, this comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Certainly, humanly, they didn't want to see their sister and daughter go, but they recognized something supernatural happening here with the way it all aligned. They were all talking it out, and they assessed it. Father and brother could see this happening. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken." There's respect for the Lord. There's respect for what they're describing. He would never have gotten this in Canaan. He's getting it now from Laban and from Rebekah's father. Now, it's not that she's a pawn with no choice. She's been active in this process, listening to it, reacting to it. When Abraham's servant heard their words, verse 52, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars worth of gifts now. All proof that what he said about Abraham is true. He gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with them ate and drank and they spent the night there. Now I imagine that night there was an excitement about everything that had happened, but there's also a bit of a, a movement now in Rebekah's mom. She's like, wait, you know, I see this. This may be an answer to prayer. This is such a, 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 a beautiful story as I think about it. But I'm my daughter, though. I, and you can imagine Laban and, Rebe- and Rebecca's mom talking now about this unfolding and waiting till morning to bring up some, hey, can we just have a little more time? Verse 55, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. There might have been something customary, Whatever the case, the servant responds immediately and says, Do not delay me, verse 56, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go, do my, go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman 
let's ask her. This is a key moment in the story. Now Rebecca's understanding the story, understands what's at stake. She's had time to think about it. She knows what the request of Laban and her mother is. They call Rebecca, verse 58, and say to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. She doesn't have to, it appears. She's a beautiful young woman who would not have trouble finding a husband. That wasn't the issue. She consents. What a decision. But she is confident in what she has heard. She sees her father and her brother's support. She's heard the man's story. She knows of the story of Abraham and has heard of Isaac and knows the promises of God related. Verse 59, so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, it's a beautiful word of blessing to their sister. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And that's what she became. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And he does. He did. He's Christ, ultimately. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. What a journey this must have been. The next two weeks traveling from Mesopotamia back over to where they were, to where Abraham at least was. We, we don't know for sure. The next chapter recounts the death of Abraham, but some think it overlaps back. It could be that over, Abraham died before actually seeing this come to pass. Not positive. What a journey it must have been for the servant, thinking of the anticipation going back. Two weeks of riding. The closing scene is so great. And Isaac, verse 63, 37-year-old Isaac now, still mourning the death of his mom. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac. This is from a distance. She dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. Note what she does. So she didn't take off her clothes to impress him. Something this culture should learn. She put up her veil. Make him work to see you. And who you are on the outside isn't the most important thing. So cover yourself up. Prove each other. She put up her veil. Didn't put posts of herself on Instagram. And ladies, this is off script. But if you think you're going to attract a guy you would want that way, that is not the slob you want. And guys, shame on you. Shame on us to make women think that's what they got to do for us to like them or notice them. Side note. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Now I want you to notice how this plays out. This is still very important for how we think of marriage. Then Isaac brought her into the tent. So all the principles have been followed. There's a clear compatibility about God's will concerning them and what marriage is. Isaac sees this. Here's the full story. Recognizes what God is doing here. He takes her into the tent. He became, she became his wife. Now it's based on what they know to be a good match because of what God has said. He makes her his wife. He consummates the marriage. That's how it's done in those days. That's still how it is seen in the eyes of God. 
Then it says, and he loved her. You see, we think of love today as purely an emotional thing. Oh, I love her, so I want to marry her. I love him. I want... That's true. There's so... God gives us relationship so that we have those feelings. But love is a commitment you make. You don't really love someone until you marry them. Not in the true sense of what commitment is. That's why when we stand in a marriage ceremony, we're saying, do you pledge your love for her? Not did you love her and feel you know, warm fuzzies before this. Do you pledge your love to her? This means you've given yourself your commitment to her in the sight of these witnesses, in sight of God, to, to see this marriage honor him. It's about him and his glory. We gain great joy from following his will. But marriage is about what God is doing to display himself more than it has to do with how happy we are at a given moment. That's what's glorious about it, why it's so important. Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted at his mother's death. Here we've seen faith in a sovereign father. We have also seen people of faith live their lives by making principled plans. It says in Proverbs, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We read a complicated explanation of it in our confessional standards, but I think if you think of that again, read that again in light of this story, and it makes more sense. Nothing is left to chance in God's grand plan. We don't know that as we move through life, we make our plans, we follow his principles, we ask him for guidance, but know that it's God who affects his providence. J.I. Packer said, Believers are never in the grip of blind forces like fortune or chance or luck or fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice. Kent Hughes said very wisely, Such a God is great beyond our imaginations because he maintains all of life, involves himself in all events, and directs all things to their appointed end while rarely interrupting the natural order of life. He doesn't drop miracles, it's the natural order of life, and he moves these things together. Trust in your sovereign Father who provides. Make your plans according to the principles of his word. Change your plans if what happens on the surface doesn't work out, but don't compromise his principles. It's as Abraham said, the Lord will provide. I was thinking, what would our verse be for 2023? I thought the Lord would be, will provide is good. But I'll take the New Testament version of that and close with it. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have moved quickly through an extraordinary, beautiful story. We thank you for your promise to guide us and to direct us. We thank you for the security that we have in Jesus Christ and the regular everyday reliance that we can have on you because of this. Oh Lord, deepen our faith in you that we might make our daily plans and our long-term plans with your principles and purposes in mind. You are our God and you will supply our every need according to your riches and glory in Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.